We're in a series called I Doubt It, and today we're going to be looking at what do I believe? And we kicked this off on Easter Sunday, and we talked about the disciples and that even after the resurrection and even some of the final appearances that Jesus had here on earth before he ascended into heaven, that actually they still doubted. And so we've been talking about our doubts and how a lot of times during this, well, during the, in the environment that we live right now, there's a lot of challenges to our faith. And I think there's even more doubt and people are farther away from God because they don't start out at a point of understanding who God is. And so today we're going to talk about what we believe, why we believe it, and why you should believe it. And for some of you, it's not an issue. But for some of you, it still is. And for our children, our grandchildren that are being bombarded with a lot of things that aren't true, we need to reassure them as well as they need to know what to believe and why. And it comes down to Jesus, and it wasn't the way Jesus lived, and it wasn't the way Jesus loved that got him crucified, but it was for what he claimed. For what he claimed. And even today, if we talk about God in a general sense, we're pretty safe. Most people want to talk about God and want to talk about spirituality. And those are okay topics if you stay kind of within those boundaries. Because there's a huge sense of a, a desire to have some kind of spirituality component to your life as long as you don't define it very well. And at the same time, what I found fascinating, and, and you can see, and, and you can even talk to people around you, that almost everyone likes Jesus. Almost everyone. In fact, I did a little devotional while I was uh, doing, running our men's basketball league for a while that, uh, from the book, I, I like Jesus, but I don't like your church. And and I thought that was fascinating because as I was sharing a little devotion before the beginning of a basketball game where, you know, church guys and non-church guys get together, play basketball, and act like not church guys. <laughs> kind of that's how, how it goes. But I would have a little devotion on pray and lean into them a little bit because that was the only church that a lot of them got. And I found that it resonated. In fact, some of the guys actually bought the book and read it. Unbelievable. But they liked the concept because they did like Jesus, but they'd been burnt in church. Like we talked about last week in our church trauma, church drama sermon. But here, here's the thing. They like how Jesus lived. They like how Jesus loved, but they didn't like or don't like his exclusive claims. They liked that Jesus was kind of a hangout guy that you could be buddies with. They liked it when Jesus made wine and made everybody happy at that wedding so they didn't run out of wine. But they didn't like his exclusive 
claims. And some of those claims you might be familiar with if you have a church background. And if you're joining us online today, we're glad you're here. And I don't speak about doubt all that often, but I think that's something that we have to deal with. And maybe that's why you're not in church this morning is because you yourself are dealing with doubt. But here are some exclusive claims that Jesus made. I am the resurrection and the life. He said that, and he said, no one comes to the Father except by me. He also said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The the scribes and Pharisees were challenging Jesus on breaking the Sabbath, doing something insignificant. And Jesus said, the Sabbath is made for man, not, 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 not the man for the Sabbath. And he said, by the way, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Well, that was blasphemy to the Jews that were hearing that. He also said, I and my Father are one. He was making himself equal to God. Now, some of us like to romanticize and fantasize Jesus. But, but when you look at the gospel, Jesus is who he was in the gospels. That is who Jesus is. We can romanticize him, we can fantasize him, but the facts are the facts. In fact, I've said before that some people make up this Jesus that I don't even know. And some of you have a Jesus that I don't even know because it's not a biblical Jesus. Jesus wasn't all lovey-dovey and everybody's welcome in a sense. He says some narrow things. And we have to realize that. Here's a narrow thing that Jesus said. He said to to Doubting Thomas, he said, you know, how do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's not inclusive. That is very narrow. That's not very popular. But it's the truth. We're, we're a people of the book. We say every week, we believe the Bible. Do we really believe the Bible? And so our culture says Jesus can't be the only way to God. That's way too exclusive. That brings us to the question that every once in a while in church we've got to address is, do all paths lead to God? And God is not like a mountain that you climb, and you can climb it from any angle and, or, and slope, whether with a rope or without a rope. Not all paths lead to God. Not all religions are the same. Now, I'm going to take a very simple approach to religions today, and if you want to talk about it more, I love to talk about this stuff, and I'd love to talk about, about it with you. If you have some concerns. And I come from a debate-oriented culture. And so I've had to learn to curb my debate argumentative style. That's, I, I, I love that. I thrive on that. And so you wouldn't know it. I hope you wouldn't know it. But that's kind of how where I come from. There is some truth and some beauty in most of the world religions. But they are not the same. They are not the same. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with 
Buddhism. I can't even say Siddhartha Gwantma is, is the name of Buddha. And, and Buddha means the enlightened one. And in Buddhism, there is no God. There, there is no God. Let me say that again. There is no supernatural. There is no eternal. You just become enlightened. And I really never thought about this whole enlightened idea until I, I, I was working through this this last week. And I was thinking, well, that's kind of interesting because Christian, I think Christianity is an enlightened religion, don't you? Thank you. I, I wasn't quite sure. Everybody went silent there for a moment. Jesus said something very enlightening once, more than once. He said, I am the light of the world. Didn't he? How much more enlightening do you need than that? Never thought about it like that. So, so Buddhism, then there's Hinduism. And India, obviously, Hindustan is another name for India. And I met a Hindu, Hindu gal one time. I was at Methodist Hospital over in Indianapolis. And I was visiting one of our church members there. And uh, I was signing in as a pastor. And she said, well, what church are you, you with? And I said, the Christian church, which always leads people to confusion because isn't everybody Christian in America anyway? And, and so, and she said, do you need guidance to the elevator? And I thought, well, sure, I'll take guidance anywhere. So I said, she came along and she was telling me about her Hindu faith. And I found it fascinating. She had chosen a God. And you got to understand that Hindu, Hindu gods are impersonal gods, but there's a lot of them. There's thousands of Hindu gods. There's deities, there's statues, there's idols. And she was telling me about her God as I was going along. And it was a very, it was more of a personal God. And it was kind of like a spirit channeling kind of thing. And I was just kind of fascinated. And she prays to it. And, and, and that's, that's her God. And I, I was just kind of fascinated. And I, and I had to stop and say, well, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And I, you know, Jesus is my, I'm in a relationship with him through faith in Christ. And our religion doesn't work that way. Now, understand this, both Buddhism and Hinduism, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is no supernatural help to anyone. And there is karma. And I kind of like the idea of karma because I, I kind of see that in Scripture. It's not called karma in Scripture. And, and please, if, if, if you're hearing this and you don't agree with me, you can text me or email me later. But recognize that karma is if you do bad, you get bad. You do good, you get good. And it, it kind of goes, you know, it's kind of like the circle of life thing. Well, in Scripture, it, you reap what you sow. If you sow good, you get You sow Evil, you get? Okay, that was sort of a group participation, but it was pretty weak. <laughs> and that's kind of how Buddhism, and, and this is simplified, Buddhism and Hinduism, that's kind of how they work. Now, Islam, I, I have more friends that are Muslims than, than the other two religions we've talked about. Islam worships Allah, and Allah is an impersonal God. And Allah is not... Now, if you Wikipedia this, which is probably your favorite research tool, is uh, some will say that Allah is a personal God, and, and some will say Allah is not a, a personal God. But the bottom line is the way we understand God the Father, they don't understand Allah as a father. 
Allah is a God and he is impersonal in the sense that you, you, there's no grace. You earn your way with Allah and even in the end for eternity, it is either, I mean, it's, it's, it's a game of chance, even in martyrdom. Because Islam is about religious devotion and good works. It's about the discipline of following Allah. And, and when I talk to my Muslim friends, I like to talk about a relationship with Jesus Christ and the grace of God and, and his dealing with our sin and that God has a crazy love for us and God loves them. And that's foreign to them. I'm speaking a foreign language to my Muslim friends. And then there's the New Age. And I don't know, I've, you know, I've, as a youth pastor, I've broken down all across the country. I mean, in, ch- in church buses all over. And one time I broke down in Sedona, Arizona, the capital of the New, new Age of the world. And I was in Sedona. And that was probably the scariest breakdown I've ever had in my life was in Sedona because it is just like, you know, there, it, it, New Age is kind of, it's, it's not a personal God. There's a higher consciousness, they think, and, and they connect to the universe and the cosmos. And sometimes, and I'm going to say sometimes, depending on what state and whether it's legal or not, there might be some drugs involved with the New Age. Might. Not always. I'm not accusing. I'm just saying there might be. But there was in Sedona, and it was pretty scary. I mean, I broke down, and I thought, mm, I don't know if I want to get out of here or not. It was that scary. So, when we look at Christianity, and we're dealing with the idea of faith and doubt, Christianity has a personal God who loves unconditionally, and, and God the Father sent the Son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice to forgive our sins. So when Dave's talking about the Lord's Supper, and we practice an open table, so if you have a relationship with Jesus, no matter what church you're from, our, our table is open. You can participate with the Lord in the Lord's Supper any Sunday. But God our Father loves you like crazy. He has a purpose. He has a plan. You're not an accident. You're not a random being that just exists. There's a plan. And so today I want you to consider Jesus. And maybe you've already considered Jesus and you're sold out and this is not really applicable to you. My prayer is that you will meet someone, you will have a child or a grandchild that needs to consider Jesus, a friend or neighbor or a co-worker that needs to consider Jesus, just like Dave's friend who had ALS needed to consider Jesus at the end of his life. Should have before then, but at least at the end. And, and so as we consider Jesus, I want you to consider the ministry of Jesus. Jesus made some exclusive claims, but he was inclusive in who are called unto the Lord. Whosoever will is called unto the Lord. Mark chapter 2 verse 16, 17, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, he said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
And Jesus heard it. He said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Aren't you glad that Jesus came for everyone? For us who are far from God. For our family member or that person that we know that, that doesn't know Christ who is at the worst point in their life, God loves them and calling them unto himself. Consider Jesus' miracles. Consider what he did on earth as we le- read the Gospels. He healed the lame. He gave sight to the blind. He, he rose people from the dead. And he himself... Resurrected from the dead. Consider his resurrection. When we celebrate Easter every year, we celebrate his victory over death, but it is also our victory over death and the grave. There is hope beyond this life. Peter, he preached this after the day of Pentecost. He was sharing in Jerusalem, the very place where they crucified Jesus, a small little town in Israel. They knew the facts. And here's what he said. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. This is what we've seen. Nobody refuted him because they were there. They experienced this. This was weeks after Jesus was crucified. In the very place. Consider the message of Jesus. Consider his message. In 1 John 4, 2, and this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Jesus was a historical person who was born and who died. From 0 A.D. to 33 A.D. He was a person who actually existed. And... He was a human being, God in the flesh, both man and God. The only God that has ever come to the earth to redeem mankind. Every other religious founder was a human being, only a human being. God became flesh in the world, and that distinguishes Christianity. You see... Other religions seek to separate you from the world, but not God. For God so loved the world that he gave. Tim Keller says it this way. Many Eastern religions will say you will overcome the world through stages of consciousness. In the West, there are many that would teach you through good moral behavior and through good works and through charity and through doing the right thing and through prayer, you escape this world. And then you go to heaven. But Christianity tells us God so loved the world. That is really good news. That we take for granted. That God so loved the world. And that salvation, the salvation of God isn't just to escape this world in the by and by. But to redeem the world here and now. That is so, so very important. That that we have a purpose and there is a plan that where we are, where you are, you are part of the redemption plan of God. 
that you only can touch the world that you touch, that no one else touches, and makes a difference for God in that place, in every moment that you exist. And our, our hope and our, our future is in this. In Revelation 21.4, John writes, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That will happen in the by and by. But here and now, we are part of that redemption story. And so... As we look at our friends and possibly family members, our co-workers, those that we care deeply about that are far from God, we've got to realize that they have to be asking what is the meaning of life? Is there truth? Can we find truth? And can you choose your own truth? Years ago, I was uh, a student and I was working at Indiana State University in the, in the geology and geography department. And I was doing some tax mapping. And I met my first agnostic. And, and an agnostic is a person that, that believes maybe in a higher power, but you really can't know him personally. And you can't really figure it all out. And so it really is kind of a hopeless position. It's kind of an against God is actually what the term means, against God. And I was, I was sharing with him about Jesus and how, you, how can you not know? You're a scientist. You work in the science building. And you can't figure out the knowledge that you need to know if God exists. And, and if there's a God that exists, that, that, that he loves you. And there's this Savior whose name is Jesus, who was a historical person. And, and I kept talking to him and, and I kept sharing with him and he just couldn't get it. And I was too young and too immature to recognize that maybe there are some other things going on in his life or, or some experiences that he had that wasn't allowing him to come to know Jesus the Lord and Savior of his life. And so when we share with people it is a dance between us and the Holy Spirit of God and them. And, and it may not be that saving moment, but it may be a seed planting moment where you have an opportunity just to share a little bit. And maybe by the grace of God, they move a little bit closer to knowing Jesus. Now, I, I've talked to people and I have family and friends that uh, kind of choose their own truth. You ever, do you have some people around you like that? And I, and I watch them and as they do life, they're kind of taking steps forward and then they're kind of taking steps back and they're trying to figure it all out. I think that's a really, really difficult way to go because there's no truth that they know to be true. And so they're kind of experimenting as they go through life. And, and a lot of things in life, if you experiment very far, there, there are some uh, significant consequences, let me say. Life gets harder as you experiment more and you get farther and farther away, even though you're trying to find truth. And so whatever truth you choose... Then you go with that truth and then you build some rules around that truth because that's what you do. And then you build a belief system. 
And then that belief system leads you down the road to the consequences of that belief system. And now as I've talked to people and they're doing this, I'm, I'm kind of interjecting the idea that there is eternal truth. And there is principles of life like gravity, only they're moral and they're spiritual principles. And, 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 and they have, those ideas have consequences as you act on those and make decisions on those. Now this, this truth that they're trying to create, it can't hug you because it's impersonal. You've made it up. Now, the, your truth can't forgive you because you've made it up. It's your truth. Your truth can't encourage you because you've made it up. It's about you being encouraged by you. And your truth can't love you because it's only about you. Now, folks, when I look at anxiety and depression that's on the rise... I'm thinking it comes down to the core of what you believe and what your truth is and who your truth is. And, 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 it, and if this doesn't work, this is, this is real popular. This is real popular. If not truth, let's try love. Let's just love, 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 love. Let's just love everybody. Now, now that sounds like I'm against love. I'm, not, I'm all for love. I'm all, I'm all for love. Just, just so you know. Some of you may doubt that, but, but I really, really am. So, so let's try love. Let's find the one, whoever you will find. Now, this is kind of cynical. I'm sorry. This is kind of cynical. But, but whoever you find will not be perfect. They will be imperfect. Well, Chris, that's not very romantic. That's not what I see on Hallmark. <laughs> Let me tell you. It's a little bit of reality. A little bit of reality. They will be imperfect because, like you, that you are imperfect as well. Well, Chris, that's not very popular either. That, that's not how you win an audience. That's not how you make fans. But it's true. The reality is that we're imperfect. So just as truth can't love you, those we love aren't truth, and they are flawed. That's reality. So just because... You can't find truth. Do you abandon truth? And then do you become cynical about love? And I believe that's where a lot of people are. But Jesus said it this way. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You see, truth isn't a, an idea. It's a person. Because truth is a person... Jesus is a truth that loves you. Because he was without sin, he can sacrifice for you because he was a person that lived fully God, fully human. And his love will never let you down because he is perfect and his love will always be. You see, Jesus is the name that is above all names. So when you consider Jesus, you are considering the author and the finisher of a faith who actually lived, who actually died. And so you really, really need to consider Jesus. 
You see, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who they are. No matter how rich or poor, what gender you are, whether you, whatever race you are, Jesus calls you to come unto him. See, religion will always fail you. Because religion is about me. If I obey God, if I obey God, God will love me. He will love me more if I do more for him. That's about earning it. I had a little girl I baptized years ago. And, and she had built quite a testimony. She was far from God. And she says, now I've got to earn this. And I, I, I told her, I said, no, you don't get it. You'll never earn this. It is by grace. It has been given to you because there's a God in heaven who's crazy in love for you, with you and that Jesus is his name and he is Savior and he is Lord. And we are saved by grace through faith. We will never, ever earn it. See, a relationship with Jesus is about Jesus. God loves me for me. I obey him because he loves me. I do not work or earn his love. The work has already been done by him. He will never love you any more or any less than he does right now. And you can bank on that. His word confirms that. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he calls you to know him as Lord and Savior. Will you please stand as I pray? Eternal God, Father, again we are grateful. And Father, we got to be reminded at times to consider Jesus, to be reminded who he is and that we take him for granted so often because we're so familiar. But Father, those around us don't know him or they have a picture of him that isn't accurate. It's not who he is in the word of God. It's not, it's not a an understanding of who you are. And Father, that you, you are who we need. You designed us for you to be in relationship with you. And Father, for those that are having doubt about what they believe or whether you're present or not or your Holy Spirit is there. Father, I pray that you would reassure them by faith, that you would touch them, Lord, that you would help them. Father, for those that need to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and never made that decision because they have doubts, I pray that you would give them the faith that saves. Father, for us who take this for granted and we go through the cycles of ups and downs, we're anxious, we're depressed, we're stressed. Father, that we can put our faith and trust in you. And, and Father, even though we have doubts at times, that you would work in our doubts and we'd come to a faith that is confident in you. And Father, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you come this morning?